Hi everyone, Francisco here. Just before we get started, I wanted to share something I'm really excited about. I recently launched the Story Powers Bootcamp, a course that teaches you everything you need to know about how to find, craft, and tell stories that work. But it's not just an online course, because you get personalized feedback from me for all the practical activities and three hours of live coaching to work through any challenges or focus on specific projects. So it's like if you bought a cookbook, but the chef came along with it. So go to storypowers.com and click on course. All the information you need will be there. So please check it out. And if you love the show and would like to support us, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash storypowers. I drink about five coffees a day, so any support would be much appreciated. All right, on with the show. Welcome to the Story Powers Podcast, the show about the power of stories, the people who tell them, and why you should be doing it too. I'm your host, keynote speaker and storytelling coach, Francisco Mafus. My guest today is Andres Oliveros. Andres is the co-founder of Astrolab, a firm that has the objective of impacting millions through behavioral design. They craft change, communication, and learning experiences to influence behaviors and create new habits. Since its foundation in 2011, Astrolab has worked with 100 of the 500 biggest companies in Mexico, including giants like Walmart, Heineken, and Home Depot. Andres also used to think he was a coward because he didn't study communications like he wanted and became a lawyer instead. Now, I think that's hilarious because I did just about the opposite. I was too afraid of of failing the university exams for a real profession like law or medicine, so I went for communication. And I can confidently tell Andreas that he didn't miss a thing. Ladies and gentlemen, Andreas Oliveros. Andreas, welcome to the show. Hello, Francisco. That was a great introduction. Thanks for for the invitation. I must also admit, Andreas, that I am very jealous of you because I could be jealous for many things, but I'm jealous about one thing in particular. But no, your background is lovely. That's not, it wasn't what I was jealous of. But the reason I'm jealous of you is because you had the chance to learn from the godfather of business storytelling. And I have not had that chance. So I'm sure you know exactly who I'm talking about, right? I kissed I kissed Sean Callahan's hand 10 years ago. I think the expression is you kiss the ring, but you know, if you want to kiss the hand, I think that's fine. <laughs> so uh, so what happened what happened with me is that I came across Sean after I had already started doing this, um, which was probably a good thing because I completely by myself came up with the name Story Powers for my for my business and my podcast. And if I had come across Anecdote before, I wouldn't have been able to do that with a straight face because they actually trademarked story-powered communication. But what happened was I, I was in the same storytelling conference that he was. So I watched him speak. He watched me speak. I had him on the podcast. We got on really well. We we actually talked for a while about me me doing some work with with them, and that didn't end up happening. And then he had one of the leadership courses coming up, and I I was about to sign up for it. And then I just dropped him a line and said, Sean, I would love to do this thing. Obviously, I'm gonna pay for it normally, but I do realize that since I'm not working with you, we are kind of competition. Like I'll never it would never make a difference to you, but we are still in competition. Um, so is that okay? And and he said, well, actually, 
we try to make a point of not training the competition. Uh, I hope that's all right. And I said, of, of course, Sean, <laughs> you're well within your rights. But that wasn't your case, right? You, you met him before you started the storytelling thing. Yeah, the, the, this was pre-Genesis. Uh, we, I was working as a corporate lawyer in a boring retail store, retail chain store. And I was really fed up with a culture, corporate culture. And with a friend, we just started like Googling stuff about how to be like, I don't know, help leaders become a little bit more inspiring, right? And we came across a profile of anecdote. I'm talking about, this was July 2011, which it's almost 10 years from now. Lots of stuff have happened. And we discovered that he was, we were just out of college, my partner and I, my business partner and I, sorry. Uh, and we saw that they were going to give a workshop in New York and we were like broke, like dead broke. So we, we basically wrote him an email. I still have that email, which is very shameful because it's like this long, obviously zero storytelling. And we did this like third world Latin, like, uh, in developing country request for, for, uh, yeah, like for a discount. And he accepted. So my friend and I, we flew to New York. We stayed for the first time in an Airbnb. That was September 2011. And we absolutely fell in love with, I, I can't say Sean, but with his with his storytelling prowess and all his vision. But he, uh, he's, a, but he's, he a love, he's a big lovable bear. I think it's uh, it's easy to fall in love with him. Uh, but, you know, it's the whole, the whole crew... Over there, they're all very good. Mark Amazing. and and Paul Amazing. now Mike. and all the, all those guys. Um, so yeah, I so I I still learn a ton from him. I think his book is one of the best ones out there for for business storytelling. It is, and I I, is. I consume their material uh, feverishly. But uh, I would have loved to see them in action in in a workshop. But uh, I fully understand why that doesn't make sense. And he was so apologetic about it. He's like, oh, I really hope this doesn't sour our relationship. I'm like, of course not. Yeah, so, no, no, he has been amazing. So you've been you've been doing this now for, as you said, almost ten years. And I'm I'm gonna get into a lot of the the actual content you guys developed throughout that time. But the first thing I wanted you to the first question I wanted you to answer, and this is something I got the other day, and I have my answer for this. But I had. Um, I had a friend telling me something that someone else echoed a few days later, which was, aren't you focusing too narrowly on this storytelling thing? Because storytelling is, because I think they come more from the presentation skills type of world. So it's like, well, storytelling is a part of it. If you're going to teach people how to become better presenters, storytelling is a part of it. So if your focus is storytelling, aren't you just focusing on one piece of the puzzle and not everything else, whereas someone that supposedly teaches presentation skills is going to teach storytelling as well. So, so what is your answer to that, uh, to that question? So I think for, for the first six or seven years of, of Astrolabs, Astrolab is, a, is the name of the firm that I co-founded on 2011, just like basically one day after getting from Sean's workshop, we were like, okay, we have to put a competition. I mean, we're, we are in extreme poles of the world, so they shouldn't, didn't matter. And actually, they didn't. I, I mean, I'm, sure, the I'm sure it matters a little more now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe more now. But, but now, but in that moment, Sean became our mentor for the first years, and eventually, we became like friends, and we are now 
Uh, we are certified anecdotes partners, so we teach some of, of their workshops. But yeah, for the first seven years, I think, Francisco, we did focus 100% just on the storytelling part of the presentation skills. In the last years, we have been pivoting a little bit. So first, we started covering a little bit more than just storytelling. So maybe that's like uh, and boring for this podcast, but that's what we do. And then we kind of jumped even further. And now we are doing this like behavioral design. That's how we sell ourselves because we discovered, uh, I, I just had a call with Sean Callahan maybe two weeks ago, and I told him about this like pivoting from Astrolab in which we are not only focused on storytelling nor presentation nor communication, but we're trying to make things work improve things work in 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 a corporate co co corporate culture sorry and we're doing this like we we kind of came we it done on us that we were in the intersection between behavioral sciences and design so storytelling is just one of the tools that we're using right now but there are some others like design thinking or like uh influence intervention in which we try to make things happen with like kind of influencers and some other tools but then right now storytelling is just one tool but i think that's that's not a, a regression i think for us is putting storytelling in context storytelling mm. is about changing behavior or it is about nothing so that's mm. like our main focus when we talk about storytelling is if you do not change a behavior like your storytelling is futile i wanted to use that word yes it's a, it's a great word so i don't i don't think that we are talking about different things because one thing is, so I, I heard this expression, I love it, and I, I should credit it. This is from Andy Enriquez, who is a storytelling keynote speaker. And he he says, people get very confused about the airplane and the destination. So you sell someone on a holiday, you sell the destination. I'm going to Cancun. I'm going to, you know, whatever the beautiful place in Mexico is that doesn't come to my mind right now. You don't say, listen, this great holiday we're going to go in, the airplane is amazing. Like the airplane is so comfortable. It's like, where are we going? Yeah. No, so and and storytelling, as much as we love it, for the vast majority of of scenarios that you could use it, it's not it's it's the airplane, it's not the destination. No, I think even if all you're doing is telling stories to your friends and family, it's still the airplane. The destination is more human connection, is inspiration. So I don't think that if you're focusing on change behavior. Or, or a strategy, which is something I know Anecdote does a lot as well, you're still, you know, that's the destination. The the tool you're going to use, or at least one of the important tools, is storytelling. So, so no, I don't think, I don't think, I think storytelling by, you can't sell storytelling on on, on its own. Like, it's storytelling for what? So, okay, so I, I've well, answered the question for you. But my question is, when you were talking to companies before, before you had done all this work, before you had all this name on the market, if a company approached you or you approached a company, how much were you selling the storytelling angle mm. and how much were you selling the other angle? No, it, it wasn't that easy, Francisco. I mean, for the first five years, one of the taglines that we used was something like, we are the first story, oral business storytelling firm in Mexico. And people were and no like, one cared. that's good. That's that's amazing for you guys. That's great. Well for done. You. you got you got the word oral in your business description. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like a brilliant idea. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and right now, I mean, just, just to answer that question, Francisco, I think a couple of examples that two topics that I have been really passionate about in the last three months, two months, three months, is the neuroscience of emotions. So I've been 
we're doing this big program for a bank and they asked us to teach like the the newest science the most new science how do you say that like yeah like the most recent science on emotions okay for a couple of leaders the late late the latest science the latest uh, yeah the yeah. latest science yeah okay yeah. so so we discovered this this movement about the, the affective neuroscience and it's about this lady lisa feldman barrett which i i believe she's like amazing i mean for me right now, she's like in the same level as Daniel Kahneman on understanding human behavior. Anyways, so I've been studying emotions, like this, the origin of emotions in the brain for the last two months. And I think that that connects 100% on storytelling. Because what her theory is, which is, she calls it the theory of constructed emotion, is that emotions are predictions uh, that help us regulate our body budget. It connects a lot with storytelling because with storytelling, you try to to make like make people feel stuff okay so that's one thing that i that it connects directly with storytelling and the other is i've been studying also network science so that there, there's this great book which is called i think it's it's change how to make big things happen about a guy named damon centola he's been studying networks for like 20 years and he has this great distinction about how ideas spread so he says, when an idea is just about awareness and information, yeah, ideas spread like a virus. But when ideas require a change of mindset, a change of behavior, or a change of social norms, you need something totally different. And that's where oral storytelling makes a lot of sense. Because people, when you need them to change something for good, it's not just with a, a meme or tweeting something. You need to really get into their, their mental wiring and change things. And stories are great for that because you can, I mean, people uh, emulate and imitate what others are doing, but also stories are a vehicle of doing that type of things. So again, when I'm, I read stuff, then I come back, for example, I just also finished Think Again from Adam Grant. And again, I'm all, always thinking about how can storytelling, like how can the things that I'm reading can improve my storytelling practice and the other way around? How can, how can the things that I know about storytelling can help the things, can help my clients in other projects that are not necessarily about storytelling. So I like the example about the airplane, the destination, and I'm always trying to do connections between like the detail, the concrete, and maybe the more abstract. I've started describing stories to people in, in this way. I said, in, in a business context, so when you're not talking about fiction, a, the story is a real life example that you use to make a point. That's it. So if you're trying to make a point, you're going to look for a real-life example. I struggle to think of any type of communication where a real-life example to make a point is not something you should be using. And, and in that sense, it's just, it's just more effective communication. Of course, there's plenty of other things that need to go into it. But as long as you keep in mind that a story is a real-life example, well, what are you doing that... What are you trying to communicate or what are you trying to affect that will have no examples in it? And sure, there's plenty of nuance to that. But and I know some of the work that, that you do and, and a lot of other people do with storytelling is strategy. And the biggest problem there is people have a strategy that is, is the 30,000 foot view all the way up there. And there's, it's too far away from 
the human beings that are going to be affected or whose lives are going to be improved. So it, it's lacking real life examples. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I don't think there's any disagreement there. I think you just pushed it to you selling the destination. You're not selling the airplane. That's that's essentially it. I was listening to a, to an episode of a podcast yesterday, Francisco, with which I would really wanted to recommend to you, and it's about this guy. It's a podcast called the podcast is called Hidden Brain. Have you come across that podcast? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a pretty well known podcast in the UK. I think I can remember where it was from. It's a, yeah, it's it's an Indian guy who who is the host, yeah. right? Well. It's amazing. Anyway, yesterday I heard uh, the episode called One Head, Two Brains. And he made this, he he interviews a guy whose name is Ian something, I, I can remember. And he spoke about what the latest science on like the division of the brain hemispheres uh, is telling us about how each of those hemispheres work. And it's not about what they do, but uh, it's more important how do they do stuff. So I don't I don't want to go into details, uh, but what this guy says, which has been studying neuroscience for like 30 years, I always say 30 years because 30 years is like something like makes you credible about whatever, right? So he says that the left brain is specialized in in the details. In like he the left brain is always thinking about the details and like the, the specific like the moment. And the the left, the right brain, sorry, is thinking a little bit more about the context, the big picture, okay? So uh, about you were saying about the strategy, the 35,000 foot and, and the details. I have, when I was listening to that podcast yesterday, I had this revelation that the two most, like the, the two storytelling tools that we most focus on is one, like the personal anecdotes or the, the examples, which I learned from, from Sean, which is focused on the details and the, narr the narratives, This is the, the most difficult word I can I, for me to so, say. So, so it's perhaps it's perhaps not a great business choice that one of your most important tools to work with companies is called the narrative. <laughs> well, I mean, we work and like ninety-eight percent of our work Francisco, is with Latin American companies, so I don't have to right. say narrative. I say narrativa. <laughs> Which has this strong, yes. like strong. Uh, yeah, you can try and pull that off in English. You can say, "We're now going to work in the narrative," and they go, "Wow, like, I get in that Latin flavor." If you're working with a company that is well, uh, we are doing some projects in Texas, and and a friend of mine, he, he lives in Canada. He has this practice of change management. He told me, "Do not improve your English. Like keep your lousy English. That's that's that is not like a, a liability. That's some that's a strength." I I. I'm not sure if I want to agree with him, with him, but anyways, this narrative is about like this that gives you context. So we, the humans, that like the greatest leaders, they play in these two both hemispheres. They're they are telling personal anecdotes, but when they need to tell a story about the vision or about the strategy, maybe they can use some examples, but they're going to use maybe this narrative in which they give people context, and this narrative is something that we. We learned from Sean, but we have been evolving it. Uh, they call it strategic story. We call it narrative. It, it, I think they are very different if you if you look them in paper. But I think that the objective is kind of the same, to give context to people uh, when promoting a change. So it's both of them. You have to know how to tell about something that happened yesterday. For example, two days ago, I had an accident. And there's this product, I don't know what it is called in, in, in England, but it's like a very, very strong glue, a cola loca. 
which is like <laughs> sorry uh, is it called crazy glue in spain in mexico well in yeah brazil, kind of in, that in brazil it's um i think it's bonder is the is the name yeah it's something that I, it, it's yeah. like it, it bonds stuff yeah. and they're going to be like there for life okay so yes. two, just two days ago i was trying to uh do some work in my house and i i, I bought one of those stuff and I, you have to put like this metal needle into so that it could start working. And I broke it and it spilled on my eyes. So I was like blind and I was thinking about, okay, I'm not going to watch my sons again. And like, I was having this tragic <laughs> stuff, like having through my head because, yeah, and I get into this frenzy of, of washing my, my eyes because I really thought that I was going to get blind. Uh, fortunately, nothing happened. Uh, I spoke to a doctor and, and things were, I still have some parts of this blue in like my my face anyways so that is like I, I know i didn't tell it like correctly but that's like the small smallest anecdote that you have that leaders need to learn but they also need to learn those uh narratives that can help them communicate important stuff so the element i i see i saw you add to to what i had been familiar with from from anecdotes work is this idea of the of the axis of time and abstraction, I think is how you call it. So t time is fairly straightforward. You're going from the past to the to the to the present. I I, I use a very similar structure that, but not just for that. I've, I'd say to people, it's you know before and after because every story is about change. So you have before, but so and after, and that's just the time from the past to the to the present or to the future if it's not happened yet. But what I think you added was this idea of abstraction. So can you just explain that that axis yeah. of your <clears throat> so in my in my in my nighttime I, I am a passionate journalist reader. I th that didn't come across correctly. I love journalism, long pieces of journalism. I read a lot of I have my New Yorker subscription, I read the Atlantic. So I, I love nonfiction. I only read I only read nonfiction, not only related to behavioral well, design. What you just described is you read super liberal journalism pieces. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, that that makes sense. So, anyways, <laughs> there's this there's this tool in, in in narrative journalism which is called the ladder of abstraction. Ladder of abstraction. Ladder is also a word that I I'm not uh, comfortably you, using. I'm going to tell you something that if you don't know, this is going to change your life. We think our accent is horrible, right? So I'm, I'm from Brazil. I don't sound like an English person or an American person. You're from Mexico. But the truth is anyone outside of this country listening to us actually thinks this is like sexy or something. I have people on social media telling me, oh, what, can I put videos out all the time? And they're like, oh, I really love your accent. It's great. And how, do, how do I get your accent? And I said, I don't know. Listen to bad English all your life and think you have no accent until you get to your 30s <laughs> so stop apologizing about your english yeah okay sorry francisco so yeah this this concept of ladder of abstraction has been with me for the last five years and i wanted to when i learned this the strategic story from anecdote guys i i think that something that i was missing was uh and i have never uh, spoke to sean directly about this so it's going to be like like a coming out story. <laughs> I'll, I'll but, send him um, the clip. I'll say, Sean. No, Andres, no, no, please don't. Andres is uh, talking smack about you. So I think that there was there was something a missing link between the stories that like anecdote, personal story, and the strategic story. That was my view. And when I discovered this ladder of abstraction, that made everything like it, it made sense because 
it brings continuum to this theory in which, yeah, I mean, if you if you map all storytelling tools in two axes in which you have the abstraction axis, which you have the stories about large group of people, about like something that happened in, in like a lot of years or maybe a lot of days, you that story is more abstract, okay? And then you have the most concrete abstract, uh, sorry, the most concrete example, which is when you buy this glue and it's close in your eyes. Okay, so you have that, okay? Stories so, so can just be to, just very to make abstract. Sure, just make sure we haven't lost anyone along the way. So I'll, no abstraction is Andreas with glues expl glue exploding, crazy glue exploding in, in his face. A lot uh -huh. of abstraction is the, you know, the, the, the stupidity of the human race. That's as much yeah, abstraction yeah. as you're going to have on that subject. <laughs> that's or that's the amazing. You... The, or the dangers of, of industrialized products. Uh, so That's amazing. Yeah, of course. And you could talk all the way back from the, to the Industrial Revolution and then like all the liability suits. And, and... anyways, yeah, you put it correctly, <laughs> uh, Francisco. So that's one axis, okay? You have stories that be very abstract or with no abstraction at all. But then you also have the, the, the axis of time in which some stories are about the distant past, about the recent past, about something that happened yesterday, about something that is happening right now, something that you want to happen tomorrow, or how do things look in the future, okay? But that's not it. I think there's two more elements. So the next element is, uh, we call it like the breaking point, in which a story to be really, really relevant, you have to be something that it's novel, okay? That you have to have novelty in that story or, or in that narrative, okay? Yeah, hey, I, I pronounced it great. So you have to do, do, do this breaking point. That breaking point makes makes it interesting, okay? And makes the, the audience curious. And the other thing is that uh, you can move for in, the in the abstraction axis, And that I think that is the, the 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 secret. Okay, so you can be telling this abstract story about the origin of epidemiology in the world and like or COVID pandemic, how two years ago, whatever. And then you could tell some a specific example that that is something Sean and anecdote guys do. But it's not like different. It's like the same. It's the same vehicle. It's the same vehicle. The storytelling vehicle. And with that, I think with that abstraction axis and that time axis, I think it solves the question on, in that like graphic, you can put all, like, all storytell real storytelling uh, tools. And I think mm -hmm. that I have, it's a theory that we are still developing, but I think that it could be a way of explaining how do these two different tools, like personal anecdotes and narratives, can fit together in the same theory. So I hadn't come across the the ladder of abstraction, and I, the first time I actually saw that that word in in, the, in your material, I, it it rang a bit strange to me because I hadn't come across that before. But, but the way I have explained that is, I think, very similar. But I use completely different terms. Perhaps I picked a term that is a bit more in the zeitgeist now. I said to people, "You have to zoom in to find small stories. You have to zoom out to find bigger stories. You know, journeys." And I think in this particular example we are using is you need to zoom out enough so that people can understand like you need to find enough context we give enough distance so there is context and you can understand what does this mean for a company for example but you need to zoom in enough so we care because if you don't do one of the other then fine i understand the problem i don't care there's no person involved but if you go just on the person fine yeah but that's Yes, I, I feel sorry for, for Andres and his glued eyes, but what does this mean in the grand scheme of things? 
So, <laughs> yeah, for anyone not watching the video, his eyes are not glued. It would be really funny if one of your eyes was a little wonky. And I thought, I, I, I didn't think he had a problem in his eye. <laughs> his eyes look absolutely fine. And I think that now that, now that we are geeking out in like this storytelling topic, Francisco, one something else is that you can do a, a Tarantino-style storytelling tool in which you start in the future in maybe some very abstract position of the company like so what is the future of this company the future is if this company i think is to provide our customers or to create a better world or to connect them with like this abstract uh judgment that it could be like far in the future taken from uh, from simon sinek's word it can be like this just cause that's in the future and that's very abstract so how are we going to get there let me tell you why what decisions are we taking and why are we taking those decisions so then you can go into the present and then you could go into the past. I mean, you have to be careful, right? Because too much of that can like, okay, I lost you. But if you do it correctly, and I think that great leaders know how to do this intuitively, intuitively, uh, that, that it's amazing. It, it keeps like, it takes a, a lot of your shoulders because you're playing with time. You're playing with audiences. You're playing with abstraction levels and I mean, I don't know. I think that this is something that we ha humans have been doing, but I haven't seen that on paper. If you if you look for narratives in in Amazon, by the way, narrative. What is a narrative? I'm, I've been really obsessed with that word, and leaders use it like with lots of different meanings. I don't know. I mean, if you I say the word narrative to you, Francisco, what what does it come to mind? This is the one of the biggest rabbit holes of getting into storytelling is and, and this is why I I found uh, or plagiarized without realizing this you know real life example that makes a point description because I've seen every possible description you can think of so some people talk about something with a beginning middle and end which is a terrible description people talk about uh, when a story is when a character is trying to solve a problem they care about. I have seen people say that it's meaning wrapped in emotion or something like that, right? So, and, and all of those things, I, I think they're all correct, but they're not very prescriptive. And if you tell someone, oh, a story is meaning wrapped in emotion, they have no idea what to do with that. So I think narrative and story, the way I think of it, and now I don't know how much this has been influenced by seeing the way you guys use the word narrative. I think I think of narrative as a broader thing. I don't think I'll ever use narrative to describe a small story. I think I can use story to say, oh, I'm going to give you the big story or the larger story about something, but I would never say, let me share with you the narrative of what happened yesterday. Like I wouldn't, I can't squish narrative down. I can blow story up, but I can't squish narrative down. That's the thing how I think about it. There's this passage in Obama's A Promised Land book <clears throat> in which he speaks about Vladimir Putin. So there's this wonderful passage in which he describes how did Putin uh, ascend to power and how did Putin started publishing photographs in which he was like, uh, with his torso naked in a horse and playing hockey and shooting guns. And at the end of that paragraph, Obama says something like, like all that he did uh, corroborated Putin's narrative. And, and, and he uses the word narrative like four or five times in his book. And it's always about how those stuff that happened in the past kind of means the same thing. Okay, 
So stuff that happened in the past kind of aligns a story of, of, of someone, of his vision, of his whatever, into the future. So I don't know, that, that, that passage, and he does, he does a lot of times, he spokes about his personal narrative, you know, this mixed race uh, guy who, who was, whose father abandoned him. And, and he has like all his facts, all the stories that he tells kind of fell and kind of um, matches his narrative. And I think that's something very powerful. I also heard Jeff Weiner that he was LinkedIn's ex-CEO until a couple of, or until recently. He spoke a lot about recently, about the power of, but he didn't describe what a narrative is. So I think that I'm trying to, after 10 years, I'm getting a little bit confident. I, I would not say, uh, how do you say, soberbio? Uh, I um, hope that it's not. It wouldn't be, wouldn't be arrogant enough. Probably. Yeah, it's. I, I'm wonder. I'm. I'm hoping it's not an arrogant, but it's after ten years. I want to give this to the world. My personal interpretation of what is a narrative, and in doing that, helping people like uh, clarify how to use it. Because if it's just meaning wrapping emotion, well, that's great. But can I curse in this podcast? Can I? Uh, yes, you can you, curse. Okay. <laughs> like what curse. the. Effing, what the effing F is that, right? If, if you're gonna curse, like, curse, don't say the effing F. <laughs> like, if you are like a brand manager, right? In, I don't know, yes. like in City or in AstraZeneca or whatever, yeah. and you hear that description about narrative, it's like, dude, I, I cannot do anything with that. But if I give you like this set of, which is also like a, all, always a problem of dumbing down something, but I think that we have found like this key of, how to tell an abstract story. Because the personal story, Francisco, we tell them every day, right? We get to our homes. Well, we're now we are always in our homes. But we tell our friends and our family stories about how you glued your eyes and whatever. But if you want to tell the story about something that has been recently happening in the past and how did you make some decisions and how do you think that is going to affect the future? I think the strategic story from Anecdote is an amazing tool. We're trying to take that and put it down and, and like make a bridge between the personal anecdote and a strategic story. I, I think there is a danger that I fall under all the time. And, and this, I think, is very common with people that have communication as their business, is we're all to a certain extent trying to find our own way of doing things and find our own methodology and have our own our own proprietary content. And And I'm afraid sometimes that... We, we get into our heads that things have to be very narrowly defined and it has to be this way and not that way. But for example, you know, story structure, right? So I, I heard you talk about another podcast, which I thought was quite amusing, how you watched uh, Robert McKee, who once he started venturing out into the business world and he, you know, he does his normal lecture for 30 minutes and then goes, oh, and you can use this for business. And no one can use the hero's journey for business unless that's, they've been studying that for years. It's one of the worst possible ways you can try to get someone to use stories in business unless you're picking individual elements of it and saying, okay, now you know, find the, the guide or the return home or the call to adventure. But I, you know, so so when it comes to structures, right? There are so many different descriptions of what the structure of a story is. So I, I, I use something similar to what you guys do. I think I usually call context, conflict, and consequence. Yours is very similar; it's resolution instead of consequence. I know someone that from from social media he calls them uh, context, conflict, 
the turning point and the transformation. It's all the same if you understand what it is. But then some people get really hung up on, oh, no, no, but this, and it has to be the five, the Freytag's triangle, when you need to have the falling action. Like If you know what you're doing, it's all the same thing, right? And the same thing goes for, for, for some tools. Like, I think I really like your expansion of, of what uh, what the anecdote guys have done with the strategy story, uh, which perhaps I should have we should have explained to some degree before. Their strategy story is essentially uh, in the past, but then something happened, um, and now we are doing whatever so that the future looks in a certain way. I think they would probably argue that yeah, if we have to build a bigger narrative, we just go back a bit on the context and broaden out the scope, and we don't just focus so much on the little things. They might not even have this idea of like, no, no, no it doesn't work for that. They just go, yeah, we just broaden it out a bit. So, so I, I think sometimes I mean, this is not a dig at you. I just think that sometimes we might fall under the trap of looking at the structures and going, what is the perfect story type for this? Uh, and and I have them as well. And I, I've told people, you know, it's intentional storytelling. What's the end? What are you trying to achieve? Are you trying to show you're credible? Tell a story that show you're facing a challenge and that shows you're credible. Do I have to call that a challenge story? Do I call it a credibility story? Do I call it whatever other, you know, uh, uh, a purpose story? Like Kendra Hall calls them. I, I think once you understand at some point, it's all the same. But you're dying to, to tell me I'm wrong, so go on. <laughs> no, 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 actually not. I, I mean, I don't I don't know if I'm going to reveal secrets, but I know that, you know, this Mike Adams guy, which is a wonderful guy, he yeah. entered Anecdote a couple of years ago. He's in charge yeah. of all the, the storytelling programs related with sales, okay? Yeah. And I, I was having this conversation one-on-one -on -one with him, and he told me about this concept of success story. And I've heard a very different version of the success story from Sean himself, from the Godfather and, and from Mark of business. Uh, I think, by the way, I I named him the Godfather of business storytelling. That that honor I can okay. claim. <laughs> okay. So, anyways, I heard a very different version of the success story for those guys, and I kind of made that comment to Mike Adams, which he was new on on, on anecdote. And again, I I think I'm revealing like family matters, but uh, Mike Adams like let a laugh and he said, you know what? We kind of decided between the three partners of, of Anecdote not to get into details about how to change the success story because when I try to change something about like their structures, those guys go into like a rabbit hole and they start giving like a five-hour discussion. And I think I'm a little bit the same. Like I'm I think that I, I am very like gung-ho on structure. Again, if it helps to change behavior, like I I would like to see myself as if I'm going to do a change in structure of a story, that means because there's science behind that change. Again, I am a lawyer. I don't have like no education, nor psychology, nor linguistic, nor cognitive, whatever. But I think when, for example, I don't know, how, if, how the importance of uh, finishing your story with the call to action, okay? So then you read, for example, I remember one chapter of Charles Duhigg, The Power of Habit, in which he tells a story about this, I think it's Swedish or or I don't know where what uh, hospital in, in, in Europe, in which they did an experiment in which they asked patients who were just recovering for a hip or knee surgery to start like writing things down about how were they going to exercise so that they can improve, right? So anyways, they did this experiment, they divided it into, and, and those who actually <clears throat> wrote things down, there were like three times more 
like advance in their recovery, okay? So like the main point of this Charles Huggy point was, if you ask people to do something, like be very detail-oriented on what do they want them to do. And it, that's something that I have, I have come across also in the Heat, the Bro- Heat Brothers books and some others. So again, if I'm going to propose a change in the story, in this case, to add a call to action, it's because I have read some stuff even though I read it on maybe Malcolm Gladwell or something else, something other other authors, which are like science writers, which sometimes they got proven wrong, but it's an insight that Malcolm Gladwell is often proven wrong. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that he has brought more, more good to the world than not because he's trying to do mainstream with all the science that is like buried down in all those papers that nobody reads. So there comes this Malcolm Gladwell and then Daniel Pink and then the Heat Brothers and then others in which they're trying to, to take all that science and put it mainstream. Eventually, they're going to get some things wrong. But I think that they get a lot of things right. But again, I'm going to close this point saying, if I want to ch- change the structure, I try to not do it like just because, but try to justify it in something that I just read in a journal of neuroscience of whatever. Yeah, so I don't disagree I don't disagree with anything what you're saying because I don't think that the issue is the structure. I think it's an issue of branding. Because if you understand what storytelling is for and you understand enough about storytelling, that you need context, you need conflict, you need consequences or resolution. You need those things. If you call your structures that or if you call them, you know, setup, problem and outcome, that doesn't matter. It's the same thing. But there is a there is a branding, you know, of Kendra Hall calls them calls her structure normal explosion and new normal. Like it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. You're just calling it a different thing. So I think if you look at different people that work in storytelling, everybody has their own names for things. But if you get to the point that the story is supposed to educate. Uh, to to motivate or to create a connection with people. And you need to show an example of either when you did that in the past or when you didn't do it in the past to highlight the, the difference, the change, then you're all doing we're all doing the same thing. We're just calling it in different ways. But but the point about structure that I I wanted your take on is because you said you, you really like structure. And this is something I find it can go both ways, right? So I I don't ever think of structure when I'm writing a story, when I'm going to tell a story. so Because I think I have what some people call narrative intuition, right? So I, I kind of go, okay, this is working, this is not working. Sometimes I'll look at it and go, actually, this needs to be highlighted, this needs to be different, but I'm not thinking this is the context. Now I'm going to talk about, this is just not how I think when I think of stories. But I guess a lot of people don't have that intuition at all. And if you don't give them a very prescribed structure, they just don't know what to do with it. Has that been your experience? So I love to write more than I love to talk, Francisco. So I have this news weekly newsletter, which is called, in English, it should be something like behavioral, curious, or curiosos del comportamiento. Like it's about someone which which is very passionate about understanding behavior, right? So I wrote this post, uh, I write this post in, in Saturday and Sunday, and I never talk about structure. I just write... I mean, again, I, I prefer writing than talking. And I think that Sean would agree uh, that that was one of our, our main insights that I got from that workshop with Sean in 2011, which is, okay, we, uh, like anecdote is focused on oral storytelling, okay? Uh, and I think 
Yeah, I mean, when you are a leader, at least in Mexico, in Mexico, nobody nobody reads. Like you have, I mean, the stories that are going to work are the ones that are told orally or recorded orally or like TikTok or Instagram or whatever. But uh, yeah, I'm very passionate about writing. So I, the thing about structure is if I'm going to tell an oral story, I do try to follow some of the structures that I that I that we teach at Astrolab. But if I'm if I'm going to write a story about something that I, how did I glue my face, I'm I'm going to fall more into a journalist typing, which you can maybe extend a little bit more, and you could put some maybe images and maybe some audios. So yeah, I I, I mean it's a it's a great question, and I don't know. Uh, I'm going to try to observe myself. Uh, But I think that when I'm going to tell an oral story, I do the pera structure, which is point, example, reason, call to action. I do try to do that. Actually, I have this talk that I'm going to give in a couple of hours. And all my stories that I'm going to tell follow that structure. Again, when they are told orally. When I Sorry, when let's, just, written, let's just run by that again because you I know what that structure is because of my corporate spying, but other people won't know. Um, I don't know if I was supposed to know, but I know. Uh, so it's people call it pera, uh, which is point, example, reason, and action. So if I understand this correctly, well, the point is usually well the point of representation or or a, or a question that brings the idea of what you're going to talk about to mind. Example is usually a story. Uh, reason is the, da- the the data, the facts, the, the the logical stuff that backs up your example, and action is call to action, which is a pretty nifty uh, summary in four points of what any. I'm not saying every speech needs to follow that. I think the 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 RA have to be there. I would also have the example there. I think the only point of contention, and it's not necessarily just between us, but between everybody that tells stories is some people think you definitely should have the point or a version of the point up there. And a lot of people think definitely not. Go into the story first. Let the story do the work. Don't 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 give it away or don't try to just have a, if it, the story is well told, it will engage them in seconds and you don't need to be getting the point. Um I, I don't I'm not I don't fall into the side. I, I think that's there's in writing you probably need a hook more than you need a hook in oral storytelling. That's my understanding. When I write, when I write, my feeling is particularly social media, which is I do a lot of my writing. I have to grab them with a one line. I can't say, yeah. you know, uh, it was two weeks ago. I was in the living room with my wife watching. That's not going to grab them. But if in my 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 theory here is that when you do that orally. The brain goes, hold on, this sounds like a story, and this and stories are important. I need to pay attention. In writing, that doesn't quite work. And also people are scrolling. It's not a book. So um, oh sorry, let me just give you one more because I think you're gonna love this this, this description. Matthew Dix, who is a, one of the storytellers that has most influenced me, and I've been talking about him all the time since I had him on the podcast. Yeah, I don't know if you know in the US they have that thing called the moth which is a, a storytelling event, right? So so they do the Story Slam, which is a competition. Matthew Dix has won the, the Moth Story Slam 51 times, and he's won their Grand Slam six times. And the way he, he's very much against giving the point in the beginning of the story. But the reason I'm bringing him up is because he describes stories like this. He says, a, a written story is like a lake, whereas an oral story is a river. So the lake is always going to be there 
the same way. You can dip in, you can dip out. That's fine. A oral story is a river. If you, if I lose you, you can't come back to the same place. Wow, that's like the best thing that I've like heard on like for days. That's amazing. I love that, Francisco. There you go. See, I, I told you this would be worth it. <laughs> send me, right, send right. me your bill. I, I said, I said, I said too many things. Go on. Sorry, I'll come back to Peter in a bit. No, no, that's okay. I mean, again, I always have to to quote Sean on this because. Pena is an again an adaptation of something that I read on his blog on their blog sorry in 2011 which they were talking about this improvisation tool that is used in Toastmasters which is prep P R E P which is point reason example point okay I, so so I've been I've been a toastmaster for 11 years I have never heard of that Okay, so that's that's a uh, post that they wrote in this blog, and then they wrote another one in the next day saying, you know what, we prefer changing the e for sorry, the e for the r. So it, they had this this structure, which it's like an obscure structure that they use, which is point, example, reason, point. Okay, so it's basically better. We only thought that it was that repetition starting with a point and ending with a point, it was a little bit like useless. So we changed the point for an A and that A actually can mean two things. It's not action only. We say that it could be an action or it could be an aprendizaje, which is a learning. Sometimes you don't want necessarily people to like, like raise from the chair and just like do stuff. Maybe you just want to share something. So it could be point example reason, Aprendizaje, like learning. So learning, I learned yeah. about this, yeah. Or point, example, reason, action. I really want you to go and do these three things. One, two, three, right? So I want to be really like very clear that it's something that we it is very inspired on Sean Callahan and Anecdote Guys, where we, we have been like, we cannot live like like attached to their ideas. We have to take the ideas and, you know, Steve Cleon, still like an artist. It, it sounds horrible, but it's, it, we all, we do it all the time. Like, uh, all I've guessed, I'm guessing that your storytelling practice, Francisco, you have been like some percent of authors and practitioners, another percent of your of your learning with the work and working with clients, right? Yes, because what happens with a lot of people is that you 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 start finding that some things work better than others. So, for example, one of the the, the early learnings for me was that it. So I was used to the live stuff, right? So I had done public speaking for years. Um, I had done plenty of training live. And then I, I started pos uh, turning things around with COVID and I was launching myself as a keynote speaker. And, and I started getting some storytelling clients for coaching. And, and I found, I tried this a few times and I found that like you cannot really do one-on-one -on -one coaching that is skills-based with someone who doesn't have that much skill to begin with. Now, give me someone who has a project. Sure, you can help them do a better TEDx, a presentation, a, a, a meeting, or whatever it might be, because you, you're improving content. And while you're doing that, you're giving them technique. But if you're getting someone who wants to become a better storyteller, and you're trying to do that in a one-on-one -on -one environment over Zoom, I find that that didn't, that didn't work. And one of the main reasons it didn't work is because you don't get all the practice that normally you would have gotten in a six-hour session in a corporate. So I'm now in the process of uh, filming the final videos of my online course that's going to go on top of all the other stuff. And, and, and some things you want them to work, but then you really struggle because you're influenced by one person and then you're going to teach it. And then people ask you questions like, 
I'm I'm not sure. Like I'm not sure I can square that. And sometimes you break it apart and build your own. And sometimes you just go, actually, I don't need like these specific types of stories and every single one has to be no, it's like I'll give you some basic ones, but at some point I need to teach you to kind of take a, a broader view of it. So so yeah, I, I think the the question I always have is how prescriptive do you need to be with structure? Uh, because I know some people that do, like Andy Enriquez, I, I, I mentioned him in the beginning. He teaches people, he teaches people one story. So teaches people their signature story. And then he teaches them some additional stories that they can use in their business, like an offer story or an expert story. But what I don't think he does is any skill work. He's just working on the content because people are just going to tell that story. Whereas I think, uh, you know, the guys from Anecdote, for example, some of the work you do, the work, work I do, I want people to be able to do this thing by themselves. I don't want to give you three stories because in, in leadership, that's not how it works. You know, three stories are not going to get you very far. You need to be able to do this on the fly on a regular basis. Otherwise, it's, it's, it, otherwise it's sniper work, right? This one thing, let's get this project done, and then it doesn't really work. Yeah, I, I think that listening to you, Francisco, I will say that sometimes people do need only three stories, like lots of people, but then there are some leaders that they need to be more fluent and more dynamic. I mean, I, I I'm guessing that those, those three stories for like, I'm not going to say 80%, but I already said it. Like a lot of people, maybe middle managers, with those three stories, they're like, Dude, you're you're ready to go. Like, start doing stuff, and then you will learn your own stuff. But for some leaders that they really are CEOs or general managers, they have to start working with conflicts and with complex changes. They three stories are not going to work for them. Yeah, I think it's entrepreneurs are much more likely to just need two or three stories. That that's really all they're gonna need when when they're the front person of their business because they need to tell people who they are, what they do. And you know why? Why should anyone care? But I think where where I get concerned of not having more skill work is because I think I think storytelling is is a language is is actually the language of the brain. Like any language, you can get yourself directions, you can get yourself a beer, or get yourself out of trouble if you learn a few sentences really well, even with dubious accent. But you're not you don't know it right you don't you've you're missing out on a lot of the depth and the richness of that language if you're not able to just speak it on a more regular basis and if you are someone who speaks to your staff who presents all the time who speaks to, to writes on social media there there are thousands of opportunities for you to communicate that way and if all you've gotten are the story but you don't know how to break it apart and use it in different contexts then I think it can still do a lot of work, but but I wouldn't have liked to be taught that way. And perhaps mistakenly, I'm trying the course I'm building. I'm taking people from this is not a story, this is a story, all the way to the fancy stuff with the sad stories in the middle, because that's how I would have liked to be taught. And I'll find out from more experience with that particular course if should I just trim it down and give them the basics and leave the other stuff for for coaching or or not but uh but but it's fun to find out as well i think this is this has been like the most geeking geeking conversation on storytelling i had since 2014 and i'm going to tell you why in 2014 in 2014 sean organized like uh i don't know the exact words but like a a convention like uh, for 
like leaders or consultants who use storytelling as a tool. So the convention was in LA, in Los Angeles. And I flew there. We were like maybe 20 people in which one was Australian. 18 of them were North America, uh, American and one of them was Mexican. And we geeked for two days on like storytelling, lore and stuff. And it was amazing, but it's something that it's not easy to talk with people. Like maybe this podcast, I don't know if you're going to have more like tributes because we're going like into like the depth of all the storytelling and I love it, Francisco, but I don't know if, if it's, it will resonate with people. Well, actually, actually, it's interesting that you say that and I, I have more than three views, um, but I, I'm, I'm this, joking. I'm joking. I know that your, you've got yours thousands, will be yours, yours will be episode 64, 65. And with the exception of a few in the beginning where it's a bit, it was a bit looser, I think from episode 15 or 20, pretty much every single episode is about the craft of storytelling to one extent or the other. And I've been trying to find different venues or different ways to talk about it. So the I recorded one recently was someone who does a lot of work, sort of therapeutic work on the stories people tell themselves and how to rewrite that. I talked about a guy who teaches scientists how to communicate better. Um, I've gotten... Uh, I've, I've gotten Paul Zak on, who is that you, know, you might know his work. So the scientist who found out about oxytocin, and there's you know you can talk about this stuff forever. And if you like geeking out on this stuff, then maybe you should become a listener of my podcast. But but you know there's there are others. You know the one guy who who knows Sean as well, uh, Park Howell. He has a podcast called The Business of Story, who's now up to three hundred episodes. And pretty much all of it is about the craft of storytelling. A lot of it might be about businesses that have used storytelling to, 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 to make change. So they're not talking about, they're not into the weeds like we are here. But there's a, it's not a gigantic audience that likes this stuff. But the people that like this stuff really like this stuff. So, um, so that that's my that's my tribe. I guess that's to a great extent that would be yours as well, because I'm I'm nowhere near getting tired of talking about it. So, <laughs> let's see how I'm many really more. I'm really flattered that you. No, I'm really I'm really thankful to you, Francisco, to, for, for inviting me to this podcast. I will definitely become a listener because I do geek out on storytelling, and yeah, I forgot the na- the number now. It might be episode number thirty two or three but the power of small stories with sean callahan that one i think i will definitely look i will definitely look for it you enjoy um okay listen i i think we we definitely could keep talking for for hours i say this about most guests it's not always true i'm sorry if i said it about you previous guest that it wasn't true but i think in this case it definitely is true um but i think we, we both have other lives to go back to i know my children will burst through the door in a second so um, i want to thank you very much for your time again and ask people if they want to catch more of your of your stuff what's the best place to go to i'll, I'll link astrolab which by the way astrolab.com is a weird company that sells like cables and i thought this is a very strange company to be talking about storytelling so uh astrolab.mx is your company website but what's the best place if people want to f- talk to you or, or see any of the work you're doing i think that that will be my linkedin which i, I know that's not very millennial francisco but but that's where i usually live i spend more time at linkedin that basically it's sleeping so um yeah i think that my like uh, following me through linkedin i write may, maybe five six posts a week and i'm trying to be more focused on quality than on quantity last year i was like 
fuck it, I'm going to publish like all my life and, and did a lot of lives and I got this like LinkedIn top voice recognition. But right now I'm focusing more on doing like crafting messages and I have this newsletter. So yeah, I think that it will be Francisco adding me to LinkedIn and I will read like one or every one or two posts I will read, read it like you to Astrolab. So I think that will be the best way. Perfect. Well, thanks again for your time. I have a feeling this is not the last time we do this. We would love to come back, Francisco. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Take care of yourselves. And until next time. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, I'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a review or a rating on the Apple Podcasts app. It's very easy. You open the app and find this show. Then scroll down a little, and when you see the stars, tap. I'd really appreciate it, and it does help other people find us. And if you'd like to get in touch or find out more about what I do, reach out to me on LinkedIn or visit my website, storypowers.com.